Welcome to Swimming with Alligators. I'm Ernest Sweat, and each episode, Alexa Benz and I give you a VC podcast from the LP perspective. You ready? Let's dive in. On today's episode of Swimming with the Alligators, you have us. <laughs> um, you have our hosts, uh, Alexis, Alexa Benz and Ernest Sweat. Hey, yo. Um, and- <laughs> yes, let's do all college radio. What's up, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's yeah we're 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 elder millennials we have to do that um but in this special episode it's called ddq um where we discuss debate and question uh what's going to happen in uh 2024 and what we've seen in 2023 um you know ddq is something usually is due diligence questionnaire that you know all of you know emerging managers established fund managers have to deal with with the freaking beast yeah long documents but for (laughs) us this is going to be a fun condensed conversation um where we bring in our opinions and what we've seen um you know throughout our career and especially over this last 12 months um but also what um we've heard and haven't heard in all of these interviews uh on swimming with allocators so um, Alexa, just really happy to, uh, jump into this with you and anything to add. Um, I think something that's been interesting is some people are super on board to come on the show and share publicly everything they're thinking. And some people have actually preferred to do one-on-one chats offline. And so, um, I think this is a nice way for us to be able to share too, sort of the compilation of, of some of the anonymous uh, conversations we've been having that that are um, behind the scenes. Absolutely. So first, with that, let's start with uh, discuss. Um, there's been so much. We want to just start with all the things that have happened in 2023 um, and the lessons learned. And so, just a few things that have happened in this year. Also, as a side note, uh, the 20s have just been too much. Pretty much as sometimes my friends, my friends growing up would say, um, and getting towards four much of like as a, of a decade. It's like I miss the '90s sometimes, where it's just like up and to the right, uh, and we ignored things. But just a few things that have happened so so far. Gen I, Gen AI has become a household name. Uh, not only you have known your little cousin, but also your grandmother has probably used it at this point. Um. We've also had substantial banking changes for the startup community with some bank runs and just like um, now startup banking being kind of like democratized to a lot of different established uh, banking communities. Uh, Third, major tech companies started off the year with huge layoffs and we've seen layoffs throughout uh, the year from, you know, startups to big companies like Meta, Google, Microsoft and Amazon. Uh, fourth, big, you know, we're all in VC for acquisitions and exits. Uh, a big one got um, broken up, uh, Adobe and Figma recently. And then lastly is um, after getting into this post, hopefully post pandemic economy, where does that leave us with remote work and headlines of like Zoom which benefited from the uh, kind of like the um, remote work, even asking its employees to go back to the office. So it's like 
extremely meta. Yeah. It, yeah. It feels like a Black Mirror episode. But <laughs> they're like, so this tool is not that effective. So <laughs> we're going to stop using it. <laughs> um, so those are kind of just the headlines. Uh, Alexa, what's kind of been some of the lessons learned uh, from your perspective? Yeah. I, I think something that has started to happen in, in the back of my brain as we have these conversations with different LPs in different categories, whether that's, you know, your high net worth individuals to your fund of funds and, and endowments, um, is kind of mapping how many slots they each have on an annual basis. So I've got this sort of like plot forming in my head. And um, like what are those limiting factors that um, determine how many slots a given type of LP has available and how that could help you sort of strategize how you should be spending your time as somebody who's a GP fundraising. Um, I had no idea that apparently um, every VC that was pitching founders was bragging about how Mark Andreessen and Chris Dixon are LPs. <laughs> and um, that's a great example of a category of LP, um, like a Series A and later investor who wants to get access and, and early, early, early looks, um, who really has no limit to how many slots they're going to have a year. Um, and a cool young upstart can come through and they're going to toss something in because to them, uh, there's only upside versus some of these folks we've been having in private conversations who are managing public money. Um, the limiting factor is it, it turns out it's really not check size. It's number of opportunities to get a decision made. And mm. so, yeah. I, I I didn't really quite have, um, I guess, a full empathy for why somebody who is uh, presenting the investment committee's recommendations is is it really has to come to the table with something that's a clear yes. Like you're getting three, four, maybe five opportunities a year to have the board review something, and and anything that feels like a little bit risky or kind of new, there's a good chance that's that's going to waste one of your slots. For for me, uh, one big lesson has been how big of a moment uh, in time in the venture capital asset uh, class it is right now and yeah. how a lot of things are changing. And part of it is like, I don't know, there's just surrealness, I'll just speak for me, of being in a moment and being like, am I making too much of it because it's a new experience? Mm -hmm. um, or is it really that big and a lot of things are changing? Or am I a millennial and in high school I had 9-11 <laughs> when I started working, uh, the great <laughs> recession started. <laughs> and uh, when I had kids, the uh, you know, I, I have the pandemic uh, <laughs> occurred for the first time in 100 years. So <laughs> it's, it's like, are we the new silent generation? That's another thing that comes to mind. But I think after having a lot of these both, you know, interviews um, as well as the private conversations, uh, a lot, I, I was validated. There is a lot of things changing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and specifically for allocators, no matter if you're a family office to, you know, large endowment, public pension plan, things have to change because um, trying to find that alpha for the next 10 years uh, is going to be different than the previous 10 years. Yeah. Um, where we had low interest rates, where there was kind of like a more private equity approach to venture where you were doing financial engineering um, and, you know, and kind of these road shows to get bigger, bigger rounds without mm-hmm. having the fundamentals. And now allocators understanding, no, we need to find true um, alpha that can of, of fund managers that can find the best companies that also not only can grow fast, but can have sustainable um, business models. And so that changes your diligence of, of what you're looking for in fund managers. Um, yeah. Yeah. Are there, are there points where you were sort of having to read between the lines at all on any of these interviews? Like what have, what hasn't been being said that's just as important as what's been being said? What I have heard or read between the lines is, People want to see, um, hear conviction. Um, they want to see discipline because we were, you know, generally the industry wasn't as disciplined, shorter diligence times, deploying capital at a faster pace. Um, so when you as a fund manager, whether you're taking over a fund or establishing your own fund, what are you confident that you're good at that nobody else can really F with you on, right? Mm-hmm. not what you think you want them to hear. And yeah. so my, my, my view was always like, be self-aware, be confident that nobody can out earnest or out Alexa you and um, find your ICP, um, your ideal uh, customer profile. And so that's, uh, that's what I think I'm hearing from a lot of these allocators is like, what are you good at? And then Mm -hmm. you can't control what my portfolio already looks like. And if I'm overweight in what you do. Yeah. So, yeah, no, that's fair. I, I think I felt a genuine, maybe it's because these are the people who are agreeing to chat with us, but I felt a genuine, like nobody here is trying to time the market. They're all venture, they're all venture bulls, um, which was I guess a little surprising to me because I was expecting to hear a little bit more of like couching or, you know, bonds are really um, like (laughs) returning 1.6 or X right now. You know, like I, I was, I was sort of interested, interested to hear that they're, they're not backing down. Um, And Roxanne Guggen, who's this futurist we had on the show, she ended up following up with one more thought where she was like, wait, 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 I got to, I got to say one more reason why venture is the place to be. <laughs> and, and the, the TLDR is like, you have no real choice that, um, you know, I'm summarizing here, but it's, it's Roxanne's words, cash is trash. <laughs> um, and inflation ha- has everything going down in value. So if you believe that legacy companies, um, if you're just putting everything in the legacy companies, then you're in danger in the long term. And the only safe place to go, the only thing that isn't risky is change. And and the way to invest in change is venture. I hope that you all also had some key learnings or takeaways 
from listening to the past episodes with our allocators and would love if you're interested in sharing those with the community too, what, what the biggest takeaways were for you for the year. Um, and now let's transition into the next section of the DDQ, the second D for debate on the big, bold predictions that Ernest and I have for 2024. Um, we'll see if we agree. I'm curious to hear, Ernest, what is your first prediction? Yeah, I'm excited to see too. Uh, we have not shared these again with each other. Uh, so this is off the cuff um, and edited, but whatever. Um, so uh, my first bold uh, prediction is in 2024, um, there will be more spin outs of VC funds, um, but they're going to come from uh, larger funds and established funds, those individuals. Uh, and then a kind of slash to that is there will continue to be a VC free agency happening in 2024. So um, you'll start to see in your LinkedIn a lot of you know principals, partners, GPs moving to new firms or uh, leaving the industry uh, as a whole. So that's my first bold prediction in 2024. Some quiet quitting. Okay, counter to that. Okay. If you're at a place that's got major brand recognition and the LPs are all lined up, they're all competing to get into the top decile funds, what's motivating you to make this the year that you want to go raise on your own with a no-name brand yeah. fund? Great, uh, great counter. Um, but I have anecdotal private conversation uh, data. So, <laughs> so um, you know, I think we've seen this with um, individuals from top firms already in, in 2023 doing this, but I think uh, it's a combination of a lot of different macro events and then micro events as well. So macro, we've seen the slowdown despite the dry powder of, at a lot of these established funds. And so, um, if you were promised that you had three bullets every year and now it's been cut down to one essentially <laughs> every year, that's high stakes. another, yeah, that's, that's, that's high stakes. But the analogy that comes to me is like, if somebody gets, I know this, this is going to sound stupid, but in college, I never understood how my GPA with one grade could fall harder but when I got a great grade it was like <laughs> and so obviously I know how that is. but that's like I think that's the feeling that a lot of people have is like I started deploying if I'm a junior uh, partner or early GP I started deploying in 2015 2016 or more likely probably 2019 and up and my track record isn't that Great. Or I wouldn't, even if it is, it's shaky on some of those investments. Yeah. So all yep. that's happening with, with capital tightening, right. Of all allocators being a little bit more like uh, skittish on re-upping. And so if I can't deploy mm -hmm. uh, and I have a, and I have a great track record, um, not to mention maybe my management partnership is coming to me and saying, these next two, three years are really critical for you right. and you need to, and markups, uh, just any markup doesn't 
matter as much. We need, you know, returns. And yep. so Time that puts deliver. a lot of pressure on those individuals. And this is a get rich slow game. And so if you don't have the comfort and the ability to like actually invest and for every decision, make that decision based on that decision and not on previous decisions and having that bias, um, then you're not, you can get lucky, but you're not really set up to succeed. And so I think all those things are happening where people feeling like if they have the backing, if they have some LP relationships, it's probably a good time to, um, to, to spin out. And LPs are looking for um, new relationships. You, you also have a lot of established LPs, fund of funds, not mid, I won't say it's the majority, but a lot of confident fund of funds have told me that they've left some of the biggest names in venture because they don't believe in the models anymore. Mm, yeah. They, and yeah. they're in every, they're, they're investing across everything and it's just, yeah, it's not focused enough. Interesting. Okay. I have to say, I think I had almost the exact opposite prediction, which okay. was if you're a series A investor or above, and this is going to be an interesting thing to ask you because this is where you play, not where I play. I think if you're a series A investor and above, the world is going to be your oyster in 2024. And, and so you may as well stay where you're at because I, I think you're going to get back up to three bullets. Whereas I think if you are a pre-seed or seed investor, which potentially is where you end up if you go out and you try to raise your own fund just by, by what you're able to raise, I think seed is going to absolutely blow in 2024. And my, my reasoning here is that tech disillusionment is super real. Like mm. the, the number of people who were coming out of Hotco startup unicorn who had seen a company go from, you know, zero to 100 and had the lived experience, the, the teammates and, and sort of the, the real, real life experience of what a VC scale company requires. Everybody was willing to do it. They were like, I'm quitting this job at Uber. I'm quitting this job at Slack <laughs> yeah. and I'm going to go raise because this is exciting. I want to have, I want to own 50% of this instead of 0.5% of this. And now all of those really driven people have seen their equity worth drop in half, right? Um, SVB, one of our killer partners on this show, has an annual, biannual report and it came, I'm, I'm going to quote, if 2021 unicorns were marked to market based on 2021 IPOs, we would expect their total valuation to fall from 900 billion to around 550 billion. So that's your net worth potentially has just on paper been cut in half. Mm. And you're still just as smart and you still have all those technical buddies. And so I think the people that we used to be able to invest pre-seed and seed in are not going to be coming around passing the hat. If anything, they're going to decide Yes, I can build something myself, but I don't need I don't need VC. And those guys are going to sit in a room and just code on their own and bootstrap until they have a killer product and they own 100% and they didn't give us a chance to get in. Or they do have a VC appropriate business and then it's going to be freaking doggy eat dog to get into those repeat founder or 
you know, killer team deals. Yeah. Like everybody and their mom is going to be fighting for the same few deals that actually have teams that know what the fuck they're doing. And alternatively, <laughs> the people who just haven't had exposure and like haven't had, like if you know, you know. If you know, you're not necessarily taking VC. If you don't know, you still think this is a great idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And those founders at the pre-seed level, the seed level, they are delightful. They are coachable, but they don't know what the fuck they're doing. And it's a huge lift. And they're going to make a ton of more mistakes along the way. Everybody prefers to invest in repeat founders than, than new founders, right? Um, so it, it feels like when I was in college and everybody, this is at Stanford, we had just seen the bubble burst, the tech bubble burst. No one wanted to go work in tech. This was in Palo Alto. <laughs> that's, in, that's insane. And so like, if you know, you know. Um, so my argument is Series A and above, 2024 is going to be best in show. You're going to get to pick from the best in class. Pre-seed and seed, I think it's going to be like going to the pound. I, so my counter to that, great points. You were, you were cooking, so great points. Um, but my counter to that is um, I think it's always a discussion uh, in VC and America is the have and have nots, right? So mm -hmm. I think those that, and this is going to be to my second point, I won't give it away, a bold prediction, but I won't give it away yet. But the counter is, I think those in A and above that have capital mm -hmm. um, will be able to have their, their pick. But I think founders are going to get smarter on who they partner with and what value can you actually add. So that's to that point. To yours on, you know, the, the core of like seed, and, and I agree with a lot of your points, but I think we've also seen this movement of, you know, um, Greg Croft going to earlier, right? And um, Andreessen going earlier and um, Greylock doing a um, essentially like ex almost accelerator program um, you know, incubation, right? Yeah. And so there's going to be a lot more capital there. So I think it might continue the disillusionment. Um, and you're going to see, which was really, if you looked at the beginning of pre-seed and even, you know, seed, when I when we both kind of got in the industry in 2015, 2016, there were the thing called party rounds where, you know, a lot of people got involved. Totally. Yeah. You know, those aren't really going to happen anymore. And I think it is going to be just as competitive as you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, again, but like yeah, my counter is that there's still going to be a lot share. of money. Totally. Yeah. Yep. But but it was a great lead into my second uh, bold prediction is I believe there's going to be more consolidation in the uh, VC um, ecosystem uh, with a scene more um, situations like OpenView, which, you know, that sucks for a lot of those people. There's this hard situation for a lot of people who, you know, built their career up and yeah. just disappears. I think there'll be more situ situations like that. And then also ones that you won't hear about that will be kind of zombie funds. So people yeah. who were going from fund one to fund two and can't do it, fund two to fund three can't do it. And I've heard a lot yeah, of times- or just people, choose not to. Like, yeah, or just they, to choose not to. They have a lot of right? ideas. They're going to go like build a retreat center 
in Mexico instead. Wow, that that post economic life. Um, I <laughs> so it was a dream of. So I think that's going to happen a lot. What's what's kind of your view? Do, do you, I yeah. think that's what we've so, kind of heard from the allocators too, as we interviewed, right? I'm I'm an LP in one fund that's on its second manager, and well, I, that was deep. That was a lot. <laughs> I'm curious. <laughs> I'm curious with those zombie funds. What's the like? What's the opportunity? Is that do you do you sort of assume okay? X number of hours a month, I can continue to kind of just like keep tabs. Now that the fund is deployed, I can half in, half out, do my do my job, do my LPs um, a, a solid, and like keep one eye open <laughs> watching yeah. these. Or or do we see sort of like the secondary market come in, or is there sort of like a third party service provider that doesn't even exist yet? that takes all of those ex-Facebook PMs portfolios off their hands so that they can go mm. back to working at other companies. Like, I, I think you raised a fund, you figured out what actually being a VC is, <laughs> and you're like, oh, it's not just investing. Like, there's this other just, like, headachey stuff. I don't really want to do it. Is there a role for, like, an outsourced GM who tries to actually like create value with the, the things you've picked. Um, Cause I think it's pretty lazy to assume the job is done once you've put the capital in. Yeah. Although a lot of people do. So <laughs> I think the results are going to be secondary markets continue to, you know, a lot more interest happens there. You know, from what I'm hearing at people who focus on that, there's an, a large LP that I advise that does a lot of work in that. Um, you're starting to see some corporates um, who had LP positions uh, in VC funds start to kind of go away from those in pretty significant positions. Um, but other than corporates, they're seeing not as much kind of like meeting the mark on price, mm -hmm. on the discount from most um, Yeah investors and and you would think that a lot of the kind of like especially for emerging managers a lot of their family offices um and high net worth individuals who have invested they would want some liquidity but not for the pricing that they've seen out there which i've heard has even been as steep as you know 60 70 percent discount so yeah no that's it's a interesting point that secondary is basically they're going to be picking among the things that are on sale for the most part, or, you know, they want access to some of these things that are still um, pretty damn hot. What, like, what, how much, how much time does it actually take to manage a zombie fund? Maybe this is easier than I'm thinking it is. I, I yeah, like it's, it's, it's probably a, a, yeah, it's probably a, you know, one, yeah, without getting into too much detail, it's probably uh, one person kind of managing a few hours on it. Yeah. Um, and it's really just kind of the legal documents and manage of like, okay, totally. if there's any and kind you, of proxy. And you are zero value add. You're just admitting. You're like, we don't pick up our phone for our founders. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's 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 plenty of live funds that have that approach too if you're not performing. <laughs> 
but let's <laughs> moving on. What's what's your next uh, prediction? Okay, next bold prediction twenty twenty four is based on this kind of trite laundry list of companies that everybody points to when they say, "Well, you know what companies came out of the last recession? Airbnb, Netflix, Uber." <laughs> um, you've definitely seen this quote, I'm sure. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't think those people have seen the stock prices of those companies too. But go ahead. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Apart from Nvidia, nothing, nothing, you don't really want to own much right now. Um, <laughs> the the thing those companies all have in common is they all started as B two C. And so my bold hmm. prediction for twenty twenty four is that if you don't have as an allocator some exposure to smart consumer investors you're going to miss out on the biggest winners of the 2023-2024 vintage. Wow, that is, that is, I see the limb you're on and it's like shaking. Um, <laughs> no, this is great because, you know, I'm like Mr. Not Cool uh, Enterprise Investor and you're a consumer. I get it. Yo, yo, you're, well, you're, uh... Enterprise has been where all the cool kids have been at. Like, I don't want to, Point fingers, but 2021, 2022, those enterprise investors got real smug, and <laughs> yeah, they they, st they started wearing they started wearing Jordans. Are they just like as a kid? I never had any, and so now I see all of our generation as adults. I'm like, do they just make more now? Like everybody has Jordans, but anyway, I'm, go ahead. I'm gonna post to our Twitter this amazing <laughs> breakdown of what Sam Altman wears on a day to day basis, and it is fly. Talk about like. <laughs> This guy, number one fashion influencer of the year, Sam. That's Hall. hilarious. So um, I think I think I get it. You're picturing when you hear consumer, a lot of people it's they picture Allbirds and Casper, and you you're like you're like yawn yawn yawn. No, I'm picturing like Meta, Apple, and Pinterest. Yeah. And you, for, no way people know Pinterest is a twenty five billion dollar market cap company. It's like you're not using it. That doesn't mean it is a Cash cow. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um I, I think there's a lot of good arguments for why enterprise instead of consumer. Can I can I go? Or are you still building your point? No, no, do it. I want to okay. hear your arguments. Right. So so I wouldn't expect anything else uh from you as your bold prediction, and I understand it. Um, but my counter is I think that the enterprise smugness over the last like five years has been a sp particular uh, type of investing in enterprise. It's been enterprise only for the software industry. So it's been SaaS for SaaS companies, infrastructure for SaaS companies, cyber for SaaS companies. And 81% this is like my whole thesis, right? 81% of GDP is outside of software industry. Yeah. And so I think there's a lot more um, you know where that is? You know where 70% of that 81% is? <laughs> but the other thing is I think there's a blend between, like you mentioned, I think there's a blend between what happens in consumer and then it goes into small business to totally. you know, mid-market and then enterprise, right? There's expectations that change. So it's a little bit of that. Um, and so I think there's a lot more opportunity. Like I'm really bullish on the fact that I think that the we're going to have a new enterprise or just in general B2B tech renaissance that's going to be outside of the software industry. Um, so that's one thing. My smug 
answer at first rebuttal was going to be, yeah, if consumer is like where it's at, why are all my consumer VC friends now digital uh, health tech investors? No, I I think it's because the LPs like have not been. <laughs> They they don't they don't agree with this thesis, um, but to just put a little seed in your brain, listening allocators, I do think this is a hits based business. Yeah, and what you'll hear from the enterprise investors who you should be investing into is it's it's great. It's not a winner take all market. You know, there's a bunch of us that are gonna win. And I'm like, oh, great. So you can, you're, you're limiting your upside. You're like, I'm going to just bet on bronze horse, bronze medalists, right? Like, I don't need to win the race. W why not give yourself a chance to get some gold medals, right? These companies are bigger. And even if they are winner-take-all models, like, they're, you have a chance to get in on these on the ground floor. Put a couple in your fund. Like, put a couple okay. consumer. Get, get, put, make some bets there. Yeah. Uh, enterprise investors, you heard it. Alexa called us uh, Canada in the Summer Olympics. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, no, I, so I, I agree with you. I, I see your, your points. They're valid. So that that brings us to um, this interesting because it brings to my next bold point. I think AI's next step is going to be vertical verticalized applications. I think that's what's really going to create a moat. If you look at a lot of the, um, you know, open AI and other large language models, um, there's this kind of debate on like, who's going to win? Is it going to be open source? Mm -hmm. Is it going to be these proprietary? And really that, it seems like technology can't, just technology can't be a moat anymore. Yeah. And so either you own the uh, proprietary data sets or which like you I'm don't. saying, and other people which on you that. don't. <laughs> exactly. Or I think the other thing is like you own the relationships and um, the actual ecosystem. And so yeah. that's why I think we need to bring this technology to industries like real estate and insurance and retail um, that are huge. Mm -hmm. And so that's my next bold prediction. Can you? paint that picture for me more of like what that looks like in real estate. I, I am your eager student, Ernest. I think there are so many um, industries like real estate. Like I think of my prior, um, one of my prior employees when I worked in the industry, um, the number of people, and this was a corporate, right, that deal with corporate clients, they dealt with so many different people touching a lease. Mm -hmm. And it's like, do you really need seven people touching a lease and, and doing this? And so yeah. are there a number of, of the workflows that can be automated? Totally. I think that's the biggest question. Yeah. yeah, I it's super interesting, but I feel like there is a disconnect. If you are building for AI, you're like so passionate or interested in like the future of AI and probably just genuinely not that curious about signing leases. Yeah. But I think a lot of people are interested in solving these sort of like, this tool can be used in any case. And they put it on you to figure out how you make it applicable to your job or your industry. 
And uh, I do. I do agree with this prediction that there's a lot of upside for those teams that are willing to go, like, figure out how this is helpful for a very specific customer. Exactly. It's going to be about going to the customer. Yeah. What's your next uh, bold I got prediction? one final bold prediction. Okay. which is the hat Ernest is wearing is going to be the most sought after look of the season. <laughs> Should you be of all of 2024 in yeah. supporting what we're doing, you can pick up a swimming with allocators dad hat um, at swimmingwithallocators.com. That's a great way to end this section. With that, uh, we'll end with our last uh, uh, segment, which is questions. So um, moving in uh, to next, we've filled in some questions from our audience, uh, as well as some friends, and um, we're going to give our opinions on those. Those We would love for you all to, like, if you disagree or agree, let us know on all the different social media channels. So first, we'll start out with a question from uh, our friend uh, Jenny Fielding, a uh, partner at Everywhere Ventures. Um, she asks, um, or she mentions that I've heard of two VC firms that closed funds in 2021, but recently asked LPs to reopen those funds to add more cash and extend the investing timeline for a few years. Basically, in other words, um, they look to dilute the frothy investing decisions and valuations of the earlier vintage. Uh, Alexa, why do you think, uh, well, how common is this and why do you think it's happening? Totally. Um, I think extending the investing timeline is super common. I've been asked to sign off on extending the investment period of at least one LP investment. Makes a ton of sense, depending on where you are in the, you know, food chain. I don't know how common uh, taking on more cash is. I think the argument for it potentially would be uh, it's a lower carry alternative to opening up a like, brand new fund. Like why go out to market? And LPs may be down for that, but um, the two examples that I was able to find, um, Thrive did open up to more capital. And I think this is a case of you've got to have something like pretty juicy to offer. So Business Insider had published one anonymous story of a major endowment in, uh, the story came out in Feb, saying they had had to mark down Thrive's 2022 fund 30%. And then September rolls around and CalPERS has put in another $300 million. <laughs> And you maybe you're scratching your head and you're like, what is going on here? But they are a major investor in OpenAI. So, so the two examples of this that we've seen that, are, that I know of, Bedrock and Thrive, both have OpenAI in the fund. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be those special situations. Um, and I think it has to be with somebody who has, it's not everybody is going to be able to do this. It's going to be an exception versus kind of the norm. And you have to have some cachet from experience as an operator or investor or both to be able to kind of um, propose this to current or new LPs. And I think ultimately the kind of human nature behind why LP would do this is because they are, they don't want to, they either want to get some more position in yeah. that fund and have more leverage for the next re-up or if they've never been in this fund and want to do it. So totally. 
Like, oh, you're calling me back? Great. <laughs> yeah. Everything Don't be so thirsty. Every- Don't be so thirsty. <laughs> okay, next question is yeah. from <laughs> Michael Ashley Shulman, who is the Chief Investment Officer at Running Point Capital and recorded an episode with us. If you haven't heard it, check it out. And he asks, okay, what's a question allocators should be asking the VCs they're chatting with and and don't or forget to? One that I've heard that I'm not sure most ask is what do you see for the future of the firm? Mm-hmm. And I've heard this as kind of one way to get filtered out very early, especially if it's a new relationship, primarily if it's a new relationship. And let's say the situation is Alexa's raising a seed consumer fund and the pitch is that she has a $75 million fund. And she answers this question as, oh, in in five years, we're going to have an enterprise partner. We're going to have also like this huge opportunity fund or just a growth team. And that leaves you uneasy because you're already making a huge bet on this new entity Mm -hmm. to then like expand that scope. You should see it as like a whole new entity every time you expand. Yes. What people want to do is like double down and triple down on your already experience. Mm -hmm. So by the time you get to fund two, fund three, fund four, you've learned a lot of the mistakes and you should kind of be at your superpowers. So yeah, fill the slot like you're in a slot. I think another good one to ask is what colleagues of yours would you invest in? Mm-hmm. Um, I I do know my lane and there are people who are so good at the stuff that I'll never see, I don't have access to, I don't have a reputation for. Um, and so those are some of the, like those are some of the GPs that I have put personal checks into are people who are doing something that like, I know how hard this sport is and like I, I'm investing in that guy. Like that's, I think, um, that's, that's, that's some good recon. And last, lastly, I think for established, um, fund managers or, um, if it's an emerging manager, that's, you know, in, in older Gen X or, or boomer. Um, so both situations, it's critical allocators ask, what is your plan? Um, mm-hmm. for generational change because allocators it's want longevity it's they're going to be pumping our blood into them that's the point <laughs> yes do you have a plan to be a vampire or do you actually have a secession plan um, because I did allocators- intern for, for a bit at an organization where none of the partners ate lunch because they were all fasting and so they would have lunch meetings with founders where the founders like pretty much are supposed to be talking most of the time and had like a lunch delivered and all the partners have no food <laughs> because they're all on the longevity kick. <laughs> I have we ever talked about this? I'm like a huge faster, but not for um, not for like longevity. So you just like center, definitely center. give your money to Ernest because he's going to live forever. <laughs> I am 53 years old. No. Um, <laughs> so. I, I think that's a that's a critical question, though, to ask Alexa, because as I mentioned earlier uh, on this episode, um, so much is changing 
And you should, as an allocator, want to invest in a franchise that's going to be around for uh, a minimum of four funds and up. Yep. Um, next question is from our friend Zass, uh, a partner at First Mile Ventures. She asks, do LPs expect to see DDQs from emerging managers with sub $100 million funds? Yes. I... I, from my experience, I've I've been with funds going from like a twenty million dollar fund to a sixty million dollar fund, for example. <clears throat> I think the DDQ, especially if you have multiple partners who are out fundraising, is something that you should pretty much freaking just use to agree on how you're answering questions, no matter mm. what size you are. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a public facing document, but it's literally the questions that the investors you're talking to are going to have for you. It's, it's just <laughs> at whatever size you are. And a good third of them literally won't apply because you're like, no, we don't have this and that type of insurance yet, et cetera. So, so I think you may as well just start a DTQ document, no matter what you're going out to fundraise for. And eventually it'll get filled in the bigger you get. But that's your reference document to make sure you're all on the same page. Absolutely. So it's more internal, like just so you're, you, if you want to have your answers straight and, and have each individual who's, uh, you know, in the founding partnership answering the same way, maybe in different flavors, but the same yeah. core answer, it's critical to have that. That's true. Yeah. You're like, oh, we are setting down to figure out what our strategy is for fun two. You're like, look, look at the DDQ. It's going to help you outline like what are all the things we have to decide is our strategy. Um, final question. This one was anonymous in our DMs. Will the founder and GP ranks of diversity continue to be diminished after the hashtag MeToo and George Floyd's murder? Yeah, this is something that I, um, I've been thinking about as well as like um, observing. Um, I was a founding um, board member of Black BC. And so it's something that I've, I'm really attuned to. And I think organizations have emerged like Black BC, Latinx VC, and um, All Race uh, that have promoted kind of like, hey, this is an issue. And I think they've stayed on top of it. And I think we've also seen the ranks at the of entry points, mm -hmm. whether it's analysts, pre MBA, post MBA, um, mid career increase. But the worry is that the like the actual check writers and yeah. um, leaders of the fund, I'm starting to see a lot of those people spin out or move from different uh, funds, whether they're uh, female investors or um, underrepresented uh, communities. And so it feels like we need to get back on to this, this issue um, and have a combination of not just people starting their own funds, as we've outlined today on like how important and yeah. challenging that is, yeah. but also be in the, the ranks of established funds too. Totally. No, I, uh, it reminds me actually of a, an interesting um, tribute article that was written to, I guess it was when Sheryl Sandberg was retiring, but it was like there was an era in tech where suddenly we had these female execs 
And it was exciting. It was like, okay, this is the beginning of a new era where we're going to have everybody running companies. And then you saw like Meg Whitman retire and, yeah. and like no one came up after them. It was like a blip. Yeah. Um, and so I do think it's naive of us to think things are always getting better. Yeah, I think progress generally goes mm-hmm. like like that. Um, yeah, I, I did a hand motion in the audio um, medium, but essentially it's not as always go straight. <laughs> Ernest just did the worm. You all couldn't see it, but he was way down yeah. on the ground. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so that that ends our the, our first uh, DDQ episode. Thanks so much. We want to thank our sponsors. Um, you know, Gunderson, Pass Through, uh, SVB, Canopy for their support and supporting us uh, before we had one episode recorded. I want to thank all of our um, friends, listeners, other swimmers, still workshopping that name, but like, want to uh, thank you all for joining us on this journey. Continue to subscribe and share. And then I personally want to just thank Alexa for going on this journey. Taking oh, this, a significant ditto. Coming up with this amazing name that people either love or hate. Thanks for uh, you know co-hosting this with me and look forward to sharing more episodes with everybody. Thank you all for being part of this with us. Thanks, Ernest. See you later, alligator. After portfolio tile, investing with a smile. <laughs>